Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Good morning. Lovely to see you all here today, both the economy class and the business class upstairs. Um, You're all very, very welcome. Um, To those who were here yesterday, it's great to see you back again. And uh, for those who are here for the first time this morning, uh, lovely to have you with us. (coughs) We're looking at the theme in these Bible readings of Body Beautiful. And uh, (coughs) for those who were here yesterday, although we were focusing mostly on Revelation 21 and the book of Ephesians, um, (coughs) and we were looking at God's Bride Beautiful uh, as well as Body Beautiful, Um, This isn't some idea that's just new in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we also discover God as revealing something of the nature of his relationship with his people. And yesterday, I encouraged people to please bring your Bibles with you to the Bible readings. Just turn with me for a moment to Isaiah 62, just as one example of how in the Old Testament there's a forerunner of what we see more clearly in the New Testament Remember this amazing (coughs) word to his people through his prophet Isaiah. Uh, The first few verses of Isaiah 62. (coughs) For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not remain quiet. And then verse 3, and remember this is a word to God's people. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Verse 4, second part, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Isn't that incredible? And that rejoicing will be in perfection when the bridegroom returns for the bride he loves, the church. Just really a little P.S. to yesterday. I wonder, do you enjoy, as I do, looking at uh, poster boards or billboards outside churches? Sometimes you see some weird things, I have to say. I do remember many years ago on Donegal Road in Belfast when there were many, many churches on the Donegal Road. And one church on one side of the road had on the board outside the church, Love Your Enemies. The church on the other side of the road bore, uh, road had a little caption, drink is your enemy. Well, I mean, you know, what, what is that really conveying to people going down the road on a red bus? Love your enemies, drink is your enemy. How confusing is that? Well, that's a kind of different message to the church, the, what the church has been preaching for many years. I have to say, we have a daughter who lives in Dundonald, and I love passing Dundonald or Stormont. Presbyterian Church. They have a board outside and often there's something worth reading on it. My favorite one of all time was, and I think this is brilliant, and I saw it on that board, if God is your co-pilot, swap seats. Just think about that. That is good. If God is your co-pilot, swap seats. In the United States, um, this was at the front of a church. God wants full custody, not just weekend visits. 
That's pretty good too, isn't it? And for some people, <clears throat> their concept of being committed to the Lord, their concept of what it means to be a member of the church is a weekend visit. In fact, for some, it's an Easter and a Christmas visit. I remember years ago in the Reader's Digest, you know the way at the bottom of the pages in the Reader's Digest, in really small print, they have some little gems. And uh, one time at the bottom of one of the pages, it said, do you know the reason for the traffic jams in London at Easter time? The reason is so many people are looking for their churches. They cannot remember anything from one year to the next. And sadly, there's a truth in that. God is actually looking for every part of us, everything we have, everything we are. He's not for weekend visits. I read a fascinating article recently, and the title of it was Full-Time Pastor, Part-Time Christian. That's not the way God wants it to be. There are many here in Christian leadership. How's our walk with God going? Are we full-time, although I don't like that phrase, are we full-time in Christian service? But the reality is we're only part-time Christians because our love has grown cold. Our commitment to Christ and to his people isn't what it used to be. Part of the context of these Bible readings this week is, as I hinted at yesterday, in recent years, my wife and I have been meeting more and more people who seem to have opted out of church. Any kind of visible, tangible expression of a gathering of God's people. And the frequent refrain we hear is this, I love Jesus, but I just can't hack the church anymore. I don't know if many of you have uh, <clears throat> read this book by Stuart Briscoe. It's a fabulous book. Um, it's called Flowing Streams, Journey, Journeys of a Life Well Lived. It's really a man who's now in his 80s, former speaker at this Bangor convention. I remember, I think it was in 1967, attending one of the meetings of this convention in Hamilton Road Baptist, a youth meeting, and Stuart Briscoe was the preacher. I can tell you what he preached about that night from Proverbs chapter 10. I remember the verse. It deeply impacted me. I've never forgotten it. A son who sleeps in harvest brings shame. And folks, it's harvest time in Ireland today. It's harvest time in many parts of the world today. And we don't want to be sons and daughters who are asleep during harvest time. We want to grasp the opportunities that the Lord is giving us. As many of you will know, Stuart Briscoe served the Lord with caponry for many years. And then the time came in his life when he and Jill sensed God was calling them to something else. And an opportunity came up, and in fact it eventually worked out, for him to go and serve in the United States in a congregation in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Elmbrook Church. I remember in a sabbatical I had in 1995, having the privilege of staying with them and spending a few days with them in Elmbrook and learning so, so much. But that was a huge step for the Briscoes, massive. And part of the preparation for that was, I suppose we could call it um, an adjustment or a change in Stuart's theology. In this book, he tells us about it. 
he tells of a conversation with the famous preacher Stephen Alford, who during the course of the conversation to Stuart said this, and I quote, Stuart, my boy, your theology includes no ecclesiology, and that means it is a truncated theology. Now, will I translate that for folks, okay? He was really saying, Stuart, you have a great understanding of God and you preach a lot about God, the Spirit, and the Gospel, and so on. But he said, you don't seem to have any ecclesiology. You don't seem to have any understanding of what God has called the church to be, to do. And and Stuart, putting it in today's jargon, you need to wise up. And he did. He listened carefully to Stuart Alford. And let me just read you this short bit. Um, Stuart said, I think he had heard me say something positive about the Lord Jesus and critical of the church in the same sentence. I protested warmly that I thought my ecclesiology, my understanding of the church and so on, was in good shape, as I believed wholeheartedly in the church and was more than ready to say so if people asked me. Stephen Alford replied, well, tell me about this church that you believe in. I believe, I replied, in the universal, invisible, mystical body of Christ. Good answer, isn't it? wonder would we have given that answer for our definition of the church. The universal, invisible, mystical body of Christ. I spluttered something, and Stuart, uh, Stephen Alford went on, you're right, Stuart, the scriptures do talk about a universal church. But the scriptures also refer pointedly to the church in such places as Antioch, Jerusalem, Ephesus, and so on. They were not invisible. They were highly visible and tangible. And in addition to teaching about the universal church, we need to be teaching the role of the church in the local area, in corporate worship, discipling, evangelism, and ministry to the community. Well, Briscoe really listened. And he said this, the more Stephen Alford went on, the more uncomfortable I became. I'm afraid that since my early experiences of the church had not been so exciting, and because we had gotten very little help but considerable criticism from a number of churches during our coffee bar outreach days, my attitude towards the local church was in dire need of a major overhaul. And Stephen Alford was setting about administering it. I wonder, can any of us identify with that? Sometimes we've been so hurt or disappointed by the church that we too have chosen to opt out or just drift away or just become a passenger rather than an active participant. I guess one extreme version of it is this a book that came out not so long ago. Just look at the title, Love Jesus, Hate Church. Now, we haven't met many people who hate the church, I have to say this, but we do listen increasingly to a lot of people who are disappointed, who once were active in a local church, very active, but for a whole variety of reasons, no longer belong to any local, tangible expression of God's people. How can we read 
Paul's letter to the Ephesians and the rest of the New Testament and justify that as a way of life. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves, those first Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. How can we have fellowship if we don't meet with other people? How can we break bread together in the service of the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion or whatever we call it and not meet with God's people? And prayers so often in the New Testament are corporate prayers. We're meeting with other brothers and sisters in Christ to pray. It's a group of people. It's a gathering. It's the body of Christ. And by God's incredible grace, we have the privilege of being a part of that body. And the Lord wants us to be committed to it. And yet, I don't know if any of you ever read Time magazine. A few weeks ago, or maybe months ago now, this was the very front cover in Time magazine. It was a fascinating article about what's called the me, me, me generation. Um, they're called the Millennials. I wonder if you heard of the Millennials. You've maybe some of you have heard of Generation X and Generation Y and the Baby Boomers and so on. Well, the Millennials are a new grouping that have been identified for those who spend a lot of time thinking about these things. People born in the 1980s, the 1990s. Uh, many of them are inextricably linked to a mobile phone an iPad, an iPod. They are social networkers. Their world is quite different to the world I grew up in. Recently, I was listening to somebody who was telling me about a teenage girl going through a horrendously difficult time. And this older lady said to her, do you have any friends? Do you not have any friends? She said, I have 364 friends. Oh, she said, that's amazing. Where are they? Well, she said, I have them all on Facebook. She said, do you ever see them? Oh, no, I never see them. Friends? How strange a friendship where we never ever see the people, spend time with them, listen to each other, encourage one another, support one another. Of course we can support each other through social networking, emails, letters, and so on. But did not the Apostle Paul write sometimes about the joy of seeing people face to face. The body of Christ is about a family gathering together. In a fascinating article that I read recently about the millennials, these American writers say this, and I quote, millennials are the least religious of any generation in modern American history. Millennials are still spiritual. Three out of four millennials say they are spiritual but not religious. Interesting. In addition to their lack of religious clarity, millennials are not participating in activities that we would normally deem religious. In fact, 75% of them are not involved in anything that could be called established religion. In other words, a local church would be an expression of that. The vast majority don't belong. 
65% of millennials do not regularly attend worship services. Most of my generation has decided, said one, to remain content with calling ourselves spiritual. And the overwhelming attitude that prevails amongst millennials is this, church is optional. Church is optional. I hope we saw yesterday, and I hope we'll see again today, that if we claim to really love Jesus Christ, church is not optional. We are a part of the church of Jesus Christ, his body beautiful, his bride beautiful. And God calls us to be committed to each other, wholeheartedly committed to each other. We all know John 3.16. Do we know 1 John 3.16? This is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And the brethren are dancing in the pews now at that thought. Brothers and sisters in Christ. That's our calling, folks. It may be difficult. It may be stretching. It may be tough. It may be a really big ask sometimes. But that's the call of God on your life and on mine. As Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, so you and I are called to lay down our lives for each other our brothers and sisters in Christ, the church. For those who live in the Republic of Ireland, you'll have seen these ads in the last year. This year, 2013, in the Republic of Ireland, is a year where the gathering is one of the biggest initiatives. What is the gathering all about? And why am I telling you this? The gathering is all about, supposing your name is Mulligan or Murphy or Smith or whoever you are, the idea is that all the family members that you can trace from all parts of the world will come back to Ireland this year for the gathering. From Asia, from America, north and south, all coming together for gatherings all over Ireland. It's a great idea, isn't it? Did you hear in the news the other day about, was it on Sunday there was an event somewhere for twins? And all these twins came together from all over the place. And boy, were they having some fun, which I heard on the radio was fantastic. Mind you, for some pastors, twins are a bit of a challenge. I know of one pastor who was baptizing twins, identical twins, although one was a boy and one was a girl, so they weren't completely identical. And one was called Kate and the other was called Sydney. And the poor pastor was so nervous baptizing twins. He'd never baptized them before. Do you know what they were baptized? Steak and kidney instead of Kate and Sydney. Well, twins present a challenge, don't they? However, that's just a minor challenge which some pastors meet. But the gathering is not just twins, but it, it's family members, networks of people coming back together. Do you know, I was excited when I saw that. And do you know why? What is the church called to be by God? I'm sorry this isn't clear. But if you're interested in Greek dictionaries and looking up the original meaning of some of these words in the New Testament, you will know that the word for church in Greek is ecclesia. What does it mean? Look at Taylor's Greek definition of it there on the right-hand side. What's the literal meaning of the word church in the original Greek? What's the literal meaning of that word ecclesia? Do you see it? A gathering of citizens 
called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. That's why those in the brethren tradition call it the local assembly. That's exactly what it is, a meeting of the local church, the ecclesia, meeting together in the name of Christ. In a Christian sense, it's an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting. It's a gathering, a coming together. And that's what God's body's beautiful is all about. When Jesus called us to follow him, we were not called to some private pursuit. We were grafted into a body, the body of Christ. We became part of a community, a community of Jews and Gentiles, black and white, as we were thinking yesterday, Israelis, Israelis and Palestinians, Jews, all of us together those from the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, those who have an allegiance to different flags, folks, but if we're in Christ Jesus, we've been called to gather together for the sake of the kingdom of God and to honor Christ and to show people what Jesus can do. And this is the gathering. We're part of the gathering, the ecclesia, and remember, it is global, as Stuart Briscoe realized. It's a universal church. Remember, the word Catholic means universal. When we say we believe in the Catholic church, we're talking about something biblical. We believe in a universal church, a church that stretches across the nations and the generations. We're also talking about a local church, the local church in Ephesus, the local church in Thessalonica, the local church in Antioch, the local church in Bangor or maybe different expressions of God's local church in Bangor. We're talking about something that's personal, not something that's out there in cyberspace. We're talking about real people like you and me when we talk about the body beautiful, the body of Christ. Do you remember, as I do, the days of black and white television? Looking around here, I think there might be one or two others who remember black and white TVs. Although I guess some of you can't even imagine what a black and white TV looked like. You compare a black and white TV, the picture on the screen with HD as it's called now, high definition. There is no comparison. With awe and wonder, I sometimes look, at, particularly at a wildlife program, and the definition of that lion's face, as the Americans would say, is awesome. Sometimes a local church is more like black and white. The definition isn't very clear. People don't see Jesus very clearly. And God is looking for HD churches, high-definition churches, where people will see something of Christ in the lives of that community of people. That's what Paul is writing about in this letter to the Ephesians. He's writing about a body beautiful. He's writing about God's people, a new community, and it is not for private members only. It is not some local ghetto. It is not some private club. It is open to all. Jesus said, come unto me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Is our local church marked with that kind of vision 
and that kind of attitude? Or have we lost it, folks? The body of Christ. Turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We looked at those first few verses in the chapter yesterday. Let's look a little bit further today. Look at verse 7. Ephesians 4, 7. Remember, Paul has been talking about one body, one spirit, one God and Father over us all, just one. We're in the same family, whatever the color of our skin, the shape of our body, the background we come from, through Christ's grace. And that grace is also expressed in this way, verse 7. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And then verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's our standard, the fullness of Christ. Christ is the plumb line. Christ is our goal. Christ is our standard. We want to be like him in every way. Then, verse 14, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. He doesn't want us to be going around like spiritual babies, folks, spiritual toddlers. The call is to go on to maturity, to growth. He doesn't want us, verse 14, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Are we grasping the vision? Are we hearing the message? A vision of a body of Christ which is going on to maturity. Well, some of us have been at this convention many years. Are we more mature in Jesus Christ than we were this time last year at the convention? Has there been a growth in depth in our walk with Jesus? Are we stuck? I remember as a young Christian hearing about SSS Christians, saved, satisfied, and stuck. The Lord wants us to be saved, satisfied, and sizzling. I'm a saga sizzler. I want to sizzle for Jesus. Be hot, on fire. That's the way God wants it to be. We're to go on to maturity, not to remain a spiritual infant, a spiritual baby tossed about around the place. I remember in my early days in Christian leadership, I used to visit a, a, a man in 
a church that I served in, and every time I went to see him, he was sitting in the same place, a big settee. Beside him was a pile of newspapers and magazines. Every time I was with him, which was many, he would spend the time rolling up the newspapers or rolling up the magazines and beating them against the end of the settee. He was 37 years old, but he had the mental ability of a six-month-old baby. The mind hadn't grown. He hadn't developed, as most of us have. He was a lovely guy. But it was sad to see the growth that hadn't taken place. And sometimes I think to myself, you know, that's the picture of some of us as Christians. We've been Christians for years, but we haven't been growing up, building others up, going on to become the mature body of Christ. We're still on the bottle. Four years ago, I was 60. Isn't it amazing how some people are so reluctant to tell you their age? Have you ever found that? Dare I say it, ladies, particularly you wonderful ladies. And so when you ask someone which year they were born in, they say 19, mind your own business. Isn't that right? When I was 60, I got one serious present, and it wasn't this, okay? This was a present I got when I was 60. You squeeze his paw and listen to what happens. When I get older, my hair, many years from Do you recognize it? Will you still be sending me a valentine? Birthday greeting bottle Oh, you'll be singing the Beatles songs now in a moment or two. And you know the title of it? When I'm 64. Can't sing it anymore. It's one of the great sadnesses of my life because I'm there. But I don't know. You probably can't make out what it says on the teddy sweater. Now, why my friends gave this to me, I have no idea. I let you decide. I'll tell you what it says. Growing old is inevitable. Growing up is optional. Why'd they give that? Anyway, it's true, isn't it? Growing old is inevitable. I don't care how much you spend on the cosmetic surgery we were talking about yesterday. You are growing old, and so am I. Fact of life. That's the way it is. But growing up is optional. I remembered another birthday getting a birthday card, and it talked about people being wise and intelligent and growing up and all of that. And you opened up the card, and it said, what happened to you? And I mean this reverently. Sometimes God says to us in love, what happened to you? What happened to you? You're still being tossed about, an infant. I want you to be built up and to build others up. I want you to grow in the unity of the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God. I want you to become mature. I want you to grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. And Paul's letter to the Ephesians is a cry for us to go on to maturity. And please note, verse 7, it's to each one of us, folks. It's not to some special elite group. It's not to some turbo-powered Christian. It's not just to pastors or those we call missionaries. It's to every single one of us. Grace 
has been given as Christ apportioned it. Everybody, hallelujah, this is good news. No one is left out. And why has Christ given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors to the church as a gift? Their purpose is to equip his people for works of ministry, for ministry, service. That's what it's about. That's the purpose of the leadership of a local church, to help us serve the Lord better, to speak the truth in love, to reach out in the name of Jesus, to grow in the faith, to become more like the Christ we profess to follow. They're to equip us, to help us to grow all of God's people, all of God's people. We're given gifts to use them. Look at verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. All of us. Are we doing our part in the body of Christ? Or are we just spectating and criticizing others? Isn't it amazing that we hear again and again and again that in a local church, a few are doing so much and so many are doing so little? It's not the way God intends it to be. To each of us, grace has been given. And we are all called to serve. Just watch this little video and just think with me of how much is involved in it. And remember, we're thinking of the body of Christ, although you mightn't believe that when you see this, okay? Uh, 16 mousetraps, uh, 16 golf balls, yes. uh, 16 baking pans, yes. springs, and wooden dowels. And coat hangers, too. And coat hangers, all yep. right. This is uh, satisfying visually as well as uh, uh, hearingly, yeah, yeah. audioly. Uh, audio audio yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Sonically, that's correct. Yes, exactly. All right, Michelle, anytime you're ready, take it away, sir. Okay. Michelle Lozier, Master uh, of the Unusual. I'm going to concentrate for a second and go now. incredible. Do you know why I showed that? What would it have been like if there'd been one bottle there? Or one mouse trap, Or one golf ball? There was a great gathering of them all and every single part had a part to play. Every bottle, every golf ball, every mouse trap was a part of that wonderful tune. Not to mention that crazy man that must have spent months setting the whole thing up. We'll forget about that and park it. But every bit was important. Folks, I don't care whether you're a bottle or a mousetrap or a golf ball or what part I have. God's call is that we are to each play our part and use the gifts that he has given us so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
This is so clearly Paul's vision and God's vision. In verse 12, in verse 16, and later in this chapter, in verse 29, three times in a few verses, Paul talks about building others up. That's the vision. That's one of the arteries in God's body beautiful. A group of people committed to building each other up. I get excited about that. And we're to build each other up in love. With Christ as the head, what does he say in verse 16? We're joined and held together by every supporting ligament, growing and building itself up in love as each part does its part. Each part working properly. If some of those mouse traps hadn't worked, if some of those bottles had fallen over before the guy got there, that tune would have lost it. But because they were all in their place, playing their part, each part working properly, we got that wonderful tune and scene. And that's the way it's to be in the body of Christ. It's interesting, isn't it? I'm not a medic, so please don't be too impressed here. I am not a medic, but I can learn from others. Ligaments are a very important part of the human body. And you know all about it when a ligament isn't working the way it should or you've got one injured in some way. And this is the picture Paul uses in verse 16 for the church, that we're all, if you like, a little bit like ligaments. Some of us might be in the wrist. Some of us might be in the knee. Some of us might be in another part of the body. But what are they like? They're flexible. They're strong. They're not noticed unless they're damaged. Have you noticed that? Pull a ligament. Oh, we're in agony. And everybody we meet knows about it. Each ligament uniquely made for their, its individual task. They're not all the same, folks. What a lovely picture of the church. But let's be honest about it. Some of us are so stubborn. No flexibility. No grace. Try and change one wee thing if you don't believe what I'm talking about. I remember the first time in the early 1970s in a church I was serving in, and I asked a member of the congregation to read the Bible passage. Now, folks, how revolutionary can you get? To read the Bible passage in the morning service, a man went for me at the end of the service. He poked his finger in my chest. Do you notice how people do that when they're angry? Poke. Don't you ever do that again. We're paying you to do that. We're paying you to do that. Flexible like a ligament, folks. Strong like a ligament. Doesn't matter whether we're noticed or not. Doesn't matter whether we appear in the church magazine or not. Doesn't matter if we're mentioned or not. We want to serve the Lord using the gifts that he has given us. And we're all different. Hallelujah. I wouldn't want to belong to a church where everybody was like me. I'd jump into the wagon. One of the wonderful things about the body of Christ is we're all different, unique. Sometimes I think some of us are more unique than others. What do the ligaments do? What's their purpose? Well, they make connections joined and held together. They control movement so that each part can work properly. They're a mixture, if you like, of grease and glue. They allow smooth movement. They keep us from moving too far. 
Isn't this incredible? This is the picture Paul is giving us here of the body of Christ. And sometimes the Lord calls us to be grease and sometimes the Lord calls us to be glue. Provide stability and alignment. And what's the overarching vision? To build up the body. To quote John Stott in his commentary on Ephesians, the apostle's intention in mentioning ligaments is not to teach us how the human body works, but rather how the body of Christ grows. I like that. That's what we're talking about here, folks. If we want to see the church growing in depth, in quality, in Christ-likeness, we all have a part to play in it. Every single one of us. That's how the church grows. How does the church grow? Well, in truth and love. Look at verse 15 in that chapter. A little phrase there. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Christ. How does the church grow? Through a mixture of truth and love. Truth and love. Truth and love. Isn't it interesting how the evil one can sometimes tilt us one way or another? Where we're very high in truth, but very low in love. Or very high in love and very low in truth. In Jesus, we see love and truth, or grace and truth, in perfection. Let me quote from John Stott again, because this is so good. Thank God there are those in the contemporary church who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth. But sometimes they are conspicuously lacking in love. When they think they smell heresy, their nose begins to twitch, their muscles ripple, and the light of the battle enters their eyes. They seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight, Others make the opposite mistake. They are determined at all costs to maintain and exhibit brotherly love, but in order to do so, they're prepared even to sacrifice the central truths of revelation. Both of these tendencies are unbalanced and unbiblical. Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. The apostle calls us to hold the two together, the spirit of truth, and one of the first fruits of the spirit is love. There is no other route to maturity, truth and love. You see, if we want to live that life that's worthy of our calling, and that, remember, is Paul's vision here. That was the first verse of this chapter. If we want to live that life that's worthy of of our calling. We want to be a people whose lives are marked and want our churches to be marked by moral purity, love, and by doctrinal purity, believing what the Bible teaches and God has revealed. We don't want to go the route of heresy. We don't want to go the route of lovelessness. We want to go the way of Jesus, truth and love. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. I was going to talk about these other two verses, but I, I, I'll finish now because time's gone. A friend of mine told me a couple of years ago, he was at a funeral, 
The funeral was of a lovely old man who lived in East Belfast, a wonderful Christian man, belonged to a mission hall in East Belfast. And uh, his daughter-in-law gave the sermon at the funeral. During the course of this sermon, this daughter-in-law, who's American, told the following. She looked back to the time she first met this wonderful Christian man who had just died, her father-in-law. And she said, when his son and I were driving from the airport to his house, we were very apprehensive. For a variety of reasons, we weren't sure if my fiancé's father would welcome me into the family or would even want to see me. She said, we drove up in the car outside his house and the front door of the house was open. She said, I looked through the open door and the fire was burning. And she said, as soon as our car stopped, he ran out with his arms outstretched. And when I got out of the car, he threw his arms around me and he gave me a welcome I will never forget. And she said, at that moment, I saw something of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. She said, I saw something of the Father's love. I saw something of Jesus because his arms were outstretched like Jesus on the cross. And I saw something of the Holy Spirit as he embraced me, as the Spirit of God does. What did she see? She saw love and truth. She saw someone living a life worthy of his calling. She saw someone who was intent on building others up, not tearing them apart and bringing them down. And folks, that's a mark of God's body beautiful, that we are people in our local expressions of his body, committed to building each other up, being encouragers, Barnabases, people who are good to be with, people who rejoice at seeing others grow in the faith, people who love as Jesus loves, people who are living a life worthy of our calling. God grant that by his grace and the power of his Holy Spirit, we'll be his body beautiful and be more like him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you this morning for those whom you have used in each one of our lives to build us up. Thank you for those who have poured themselves into us, who have loved us, cared for us, prayed for us, supported us, encouraged us. Please help us to play our part in your body. Thank you for the gifts that you've given to each one of us. Help us to use those gifts to your glory and to the building up of your people. And Lord Jesus, by your grace, help us to live lives that are worthy of our calling. For the honor of your name, we pray. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit 
www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.